ladies and gentlemen. This is Book Music. I am Tosh Berman. And I'm Kimley. And as you know, we're in the year of the Trump virus. So we're not actually physically together. How many shows have we done so far since the uh, Trump virus? I think this Three? is the third one. Yeah. Third one. So, third. so though millions of lives have changed, our lives have not changed, have they? <laughs> well, <laughs> not dramatically, for sure. We've been fortunate, that's for sure. <laughs> Nothing stops. We're still we rocking and rolling and uh, reading books about music. <laughs> well, whoa, that, come to the subject matter. Today, we're going to discuss a book by Nick Cohen. Nick spelled N-I-K. Cohen is C-O-H-N. His book is called A Wop Bop A Loo Bop A Lop Bam Boom. Oh, nicely done, Tosh. <laughs> Woo! Please don't make me repeat that. <laughs> don't make me repeat it. It's a mouthful, that's for sure. It was really difficult. I read this book about, I don't know, my gosh, I, was, I read this book, um, maybe when it originally came out. Uh, oh, did you read it as a kid? Oh, wait, wow. no, 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 excuse me. No, I read it probably about, like, maybe like 20 years ago. Okay. Um, so yeah, we should talk a little bit about the history of the book. This is really like one of the very first books to sort of address rock and roll as a as a topic, as a serious topic for history. Yeah, he wrote it in um, 68. 60, yeah, he wrote it in 68 yeah. and revised it, I think. Um, 72. In, 72. Yeah. And basically, Nick Cohen is a huge subject matter in himself. Yes. Probably the most interesting writer so far, in my opinion, that we have covered. Oh, you think? Wow. I, in a way, many ways, yeah. Um, first of all, um, okay, so this particular beautiful book whose title is A Wop Bop A Loo Bop A Bop Bam Boom. <laughs> <laughs> the Golden Age of Rock was written in the late 60s. And uh, Nick Cohn was like at least 22 years old at the time. Right. And it's an interesting book because um, it's a book about pop rock music that he was aware of, uh, music of his generation, of his time, uh, going back to the 50s on to the time he finished writing this book, which is the late 60s. Mm -hmm. And basically, it's not a collection of essays. It's not a collection of of um, articles it's a book and it's a book he wrote about music culture from elvis to what was the last person he wrote about here um um traffic uh, love and the monkeys yeah, yeah. so it goes yeah. like the 60s now what makes this unique is that nick cone is not a music historian uh, he strikes me as a writer who loves and very passionate about pop music culture. Mm -hmm. I mean, I love music, obviously, but I think he actually loves the culture. And I'm going to give you a, I, I actually, you know, can you even be surprised? I actually wrote notes. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> I'd like to see those. <laughs> I'm now no, I'm really yeah. disappointed that we're not together. <laughs> But, but, um, so the first, I think this is not his first book. This might have been his second book. But the first book, I believe, is a book called I'm Still the Greatest, says Johnny Angelo, uh -huh. which is a novel. 
Some say that it may have may have inspired David Bowie, Ziggy Stardust. Yes, I was reading that. Uh, and then he wrote a book about. Well, we should say also that this this particular book, A Wop Bop, I'm going to just shorten the title, ah, uh-huh. was on Bowie's uh, hundred. Yes. Uh, list. Yes. So it was definitely influential in some way. Was was I'm still the greatest as Johnny Angela? Was that on his list as well? I don't I don't believe so. I don't well, know okay. Then he wrote a book called Yes We Have No, which is sort of a, it's sort of about England, just him traveling around outside of London. And mm-hmm. It's very very much like a travel journal. Mm-hmm. Then he wrote a book called The Heart of the World, which is about Broadway in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. He traveled from yeah, he traveled from the bottom, <laughs> from, from from the beginning of Broadway of North, and then went all the way down. Oh, south. I thought you meant Broadway, like the theater district, but you mean, I mean oh, all okay. of Broadway. Oh, that's pretty fascinating, including yeah, the, including the theater district. Uh huh. Uh huh. And then Broadway he wrote, goes from the very bottom, like I think, all the way to the top of the island. It's long, he, right? He, he didn't miss a block in this book. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds interesting. And then he wrote he wrote two novels. One is called Keen Death. And the other one's called Need. And then two books that I am very familiar with. Uh, one is Rock Dreams, which is uh, uh, basically an art book with art by uh, Guy uh, Pillart. Pillart? We right. talked about him yes, a little bit. Yes, we, yeah, he was on the last podcast. Now, I'm pronouncing Guy, not Guy, because I think it's I think a European pronunciation of yeah, Guy. Yeah, Guy. I think it's Guy. Yeah. And Guy does these sort of hyper-realistic, slightly surreal illustrations. And he was in the cover. He did the cover for Bowie's uh, Diamond Dogs. Yes. And they did the cover for the Rolling Stones, um, It's Only Rock and Roll. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he did a whole book called Rock Dreams based on text by our author today, uh, Nick Cohn. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting book because it deals with music figures that that's set in a, in a, in a, in a fantasy or, or, right. or the image of that person. Yeah, you know, I that, haven't seen that, but I'm not a big fan of I think this book you'll find discussed in the last uh, <laughs> Yeah. I think you'll find this book interesting because it deals with sort of the, the, the pop imagery of a yeah. particular artist. Okay. And um, it's a really great book. And then one of my favorite, um, a, a book I really love is called Trickster. Yeah, Life I want to read that one. and Death and New Orleans Rap. Yeah. yeah and it's a book, that. yeah, and it's a book about him um, managing this, this rapper called Trickster and his experiences in New Orleans and working in the uh, hip-hop world at, yeah. in New Orleans at the time. That, that's decades later. Oh, and he wrote... Most infamously, I know where you're going to say next. Tribal rights of yes. a new Saturday night. <laughs> I think for New York Magazine. Yes. And it's a piece of journalism, supposedly, about a uh, Italian middle class kid who, um, work you know, working class, working class, and then the weekends he on a Saturday he goes to a disco where he's the king. You know, he's the king of the world. <laughs> And this author got published. Um, film rights were purchased. It was turned into Saturday Night Fever. And the movie came out. We all love it, right? You love Saturday Night Fever, don't you? Sure. Who doesn't love Saturday Night Fever? Yes. Everybody loves that. <laughs> and uh, best selling album, like ever, I think. That's how fact. <laughs> right. So many, like year, years later, it was discovered that Nick Cohen made up the whole story. Well, he confessed. Yeah, he yeah. finally confessed. He couldn't live with himself anymore. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> he, he confessed, 
that he made up this whole story. And what's fascinating to me, he based it on his years as a mod, like his mod years in London. Right. All he did was got rid of the mod culture and just made it like a disco culture. Right, right. And I find that really fascinating. Oh, I do too. But, and it, again, it's like, I, I always find this kind of stuff fascinating because it's interesting to me how people get in such a huff about it, you know, and it's kind uh-huh. of like, well, do you really care in the end? We got this great story. We got this great movie. Um, you know, it, it it has to deal with things that people relate to. That's why everybody loved it so much. There's still a kernel of truth there, even if it's not like right. you know, the minutia isn't, you know, on based on a real human being. It's still mm-hmm. based on humanity. You know, it's something we can all understand. Yes. So I, I always think it's fascinating when people get so tiffed off about these kinds of things. It's like, who cares? I got something from this. Uh-huh. I enjoyed it. You know, it's, yeah. the end result to me is more important than whether or not it was true or not. You know? but that doesn't stop there, does it, Kimberly? <laughs> it never stops, does it? Because <laughs> Nick Cohen in 1983 was arrested for conspiring, conspiring, that's a, that's a strange word, to, to import millions of dollars worth of heroin <laughs> and cocaine in the, into the U.S. <laughs> The more serious charges were dropped, and Cohen was given five years probation for possession. Right. And he had to pay like $5,000. Right. So this guy has a colorful life. He's definitely a colorful writing life. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I have to tell you, this book, The Golden Age of Rock, do I have to give the title again? No, <laughs> just call it a wop bop. That's a wop, easy. A wop bop. A wop bop. <laughs> I think that's it, how he refers to it. Yeah, you know, I've read this book twice now, and it, yes. I, it is it is one of my favorite music books. Yeah, yeah, no, it's a very enjoyable read for sure. I did feel, for me, it did feel a little bit dated at at parts. Um, mm-hmm. Not that that hindered my enjoyment of it, but mm-hmm. um, it definitely shows its age in certain ways, uh, especially the way he talked about black artists. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the things he said about black artists, I think, would not fly in today's culture for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely borderline racist. Um, you know, not that I, I, it wasn't that I got the sense that he was necessarily racist, but he definitely deals in stereotypes. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, I love his writing style. It's very visceral, it's very fast paced. You know, he's very in sync with his subject matter. Um, uh-huh. Lots of attitude. Uh, attitude. He doesn't mince words, you know. <laughs> it's just. Um, he's, yeah, the only, he's the only writer who, who, in the beginning of a paragraph about an artist, say like the Beatles, are saying they were brilliant. And then uh-huh. by the end of the paragraph, he said, they're terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. I mean, I was, I would actually, he's the kind of person that you sort of really would love to sit down and have an argument with him. Cause like, I don't agree with half of what he says. I mean, he trashes, he trashes the Beatles. He trashes Motown, trashes Bob Dylan. I mean, he's, he's trashing like all my icons, you know, he's like saying, you know, uh, the Beatles were shit after rubber soul. I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> you know, oh, like revolver is my favorite album. <laughs> After, after rubber soul really yeah that's what he said he's like rubber soul was the beginning of the end and oh I'm he's like, so oh, wrong he's so right. it, it, it was after meet the beatles album <laughs> <laughs> but i was laughing because when i when we got to the rolling stones chapter he's like this is my favorite band and i was like i knew that was coming after he trashed the beatles i was like oh he's definitely a stones fan <laughs> yeah but, but, then, but then by the end of the by the end of the chapter 
or a couple of paragraphs down, he's saying they were, <laughs> they lost it. That's true. That's true. He, he's he's pretty harsh on pretty much everyone. But, <laughs> but that's kind of what's fun about him. I mean, the one thing is like, I don't agree with a large portion of his opinions on uh -huh. his artists, but he can at least back it up what he's saying. He has a reason that, you know, is, yeah. is a valid. I mean, it's obviously it's all just personal opinion. And so I at least understand what he's saying. You know, he he likes the more sort of ephemeral, teenage, kind of trashy, you know, he doesn't like this pretension to art, you know. For... No, he doesn't like the art side of it. Yes, exactly. It's, it's really, so, you know. What I find really fascinating about this book, it's written by a 22-year-old, and it sounds like it's written by a 22-year-old. Right. He's not but like... a very precocious 22. I mean, yeah. he's, but, but he's not like... a very, very smart 22-year-old. But, but, but he's not an old soul. He's a, to right. me, he's a 22-year-old guy. Yeah, and um, and the and his his writing is very like um, you know, I, since I published Boris Beyond books, I read like Boris Beyond's jazz criticisms and his commentary uh -huh. on jazz records, and it's very similar. Like it's very opinionated, uh -huh. and it's very brash. And he was very young when he wrote these you know these jazz reviews and essays, and Nick Cohn's writing sort of reminds me of that of, uh, of sort of this um, just to go for the throat. And, you know, and, you know, like there's no, there's, you know, there's so many writers now, music writers now who definitely have a love for an artist and mm -hmm. very rarely do they ever bend down or show a weakness of that musician or that artist. Right. Right. Sometimes they criticize one record that's not as good as the others, you know, but, but, but Nick Cohen in one paragraph. <laughs> <laughs> he eviscerates them. <laughs> Like it says, you know, like the Supremes are geniuses, but they're really ugly by the end of, the, by the end of the, that paragraph. Oh, <laughs> and, he talk, and, and there's another thing about like Nick Cohen, like the rock dreams, he's totally into the pop. It's funny it's called the golden age of rock because he doesn't really talk about rock in his world. It's pop music. Right. Right. The, the the golden age of rock. I think it's like the editor you put that as extra, you know, like a subtitle. Well, apparently this book has had a couple different titles. Uh -huh. um, I was, you know, when it first came out, it was called something else. Uh huh. I think it was called something like the history of rock or something like that. Right. A, li a little, not as fun, but uh, it seems like and the, and they had different titles in the UK versus the US and right. So it's had an interesting uh, history. The publishing of this book. Yeah, it's gone through a bit, couple different iterations, and the version that I have has a preface that he wrote in 1996. Oh, do um, I have that? So, let me see if I have that yeah. too. So you know, it's oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I read it. Yes, you're absolutely correct. Yes. Yeah. So it's interesting the you know various iterations that this book has gone through. I mean, it's obviously an important book in the music writing canon. Um, very well respected. And again, I think I, there's I, problems with it, but I think what's what's great about the book is because he's so opinionated. Oh sure, yeah. And that's what I say. I mean, I would love to sit down with him and and fight, you know argue with him because you, you you know he is so opinionated, but he's smart and he's interesting, mm -hmm. and you know it would be fun to have an argument with him. You know, he's the kind no, of person but, you want to have but, an argument with. But he did. He goes through all the icons, so like Bob Dylan. Yeah. You know, and then. Uh, and especially now, uh, especially people of my generation have such a reverence for Bob Dylan. Right. And, you know, rightfully so, I would think, you know, not, 
you know, I would not argue about that. But in the Nick Cohen wor- wor- world, yeah, you know, Dylan had his three minutes, and he's, you know, and he, I know, he, you know, it could have been better with just a minute and a half for him. <laughs> I know, man, he really trashed Dylan. I think and, it would be uh-huh. interesting to know what he thought of some of these artists that he trashed now, seeing that they've had such long term, you know, they've had this longevity. These artists weren't flash in the pans. I wonder. I mean, he probably still doesn't care for them, but I, I wonder. If he... You know, that's, that's another thing that I find really interesting about him. I think he doesn't live in the past at all. I mean, I don't yeah. think, you know, a lot of like music writers do live in the past, including me, because I write about music and I definitely think about the past. And I definitely right. think of the golden era of my music I love and, you know, all that type of stuff. Nick oh. Cohen doesn't do that. I think Nick Cohen wrote this book and once he wrote it, he was he gone. Yeah. He moved on. And that's what I know. And when I read the book, I got the impression like he's trying to put all his thoughts in the history of pop music or pop music culture. And then. Mm-hmm. After he finished the book, he's gone. Right, right. Because he didn't write another music book except for Rock Dreams, and that's like a that, and that is like a um, uh, though it's a subject matter is pop music or music culture is totally a different take than like a music history book. It's more right. of a uh, well, the trickster book is is rock as well. Yeah, and then imagine him. That's what, I mean. You have this. Who would know that this guy in his in his sixties at that time <laughs> becomes a, a manager of a hip hop artist in New yeah. Orleans. Right. And you know, it's like this insane, like, why is this the same person, you know? Oh, and then we, before we forget, um, Pinball Wizard. Oh, right, right. Pinball Wizard is Nick Cohen. Um, Nick yes. Cohen was a friend of Pete Townsend. Yes. And the story was, is, was that um, Pete paid him, played him um, um, Tommy. Yeah. And Nick Cohen says, you know, not good. <laughs> and then, so Pete put in, wrote Pinball Wizard. Right. Him. Him. <laughs> I love it. I love it. But again, you know, that's what I like about the Nick Cohen thing. He's somebody who's like a spirit, really. I can't imagine there's a real person. Yeah. I mean, I read interviews with him and I read, you know, about him, but he's such a, um, a shadow figure of sorts. Mm. Well, you know, speaking of that, I think another thing that I really loved about this book is that he, he deals a lot with the behind the scenes people. He really gets into all the managers, which I know is something you love. You know, I love it. Brian Epstein. He talks love about it. Kip Lambert and Chris Stamp and, and, uh, and, Oldham, you know, and, and he really gets into the business side. And I love how even right, like, on the first couple of pages, he's he's talking about how you know, the business end of this. He's and you know how teenagers had this newfound agency in the fifties. You know the economy was booming. Teenagers mm-hmm. had, you know, disposable income and and then I love this quote. He said, "Suddenly, instead of a passport to oblivion, being a teenage fuck up was the hottest ticket in town." And that was <laughs> sort of how he got to be a writer. Was you know he was this. You know, uh-huh. rock and roll teenage kid who could write, obviously. Yes. But you know, I mean, he got hired to start writing when he was like eighteen, I think. Okay, speaking of man. Okay, speaking of managers, can I just read a little excerpt from the book? Sure, sure, of course. Okay, this is about. Um, let me see if I can find it. Okay, he he wrote about Burt Burns, who was a songwriter and a music industry person. Uh huh. And um, I just like the writing of this, and also his his total obsession fan base for managers and you know songwriters people behind the curtain for instance yes so i'm going to quote this from the book um 
The only other of their associates who Rates had mentioned is the late Furt Burns, who wrote such endearing stuff as Twist and Shout, Hang on Sloopy, Here Comes the Night, and I Don't Want to Go On Without You. Well, he wasn't owned by Atlantic, the record label, and he did a lot of work for them, and this is where he fits in best. Really, I bring him in only because I never met anyone who understood pop so well who agreed so much with me, that is. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, he was identity kit, American record man, canny and thorough and flash, always money conscious, and he wasn't a beautiful person, but he was intelligent, articulate, and he made some good lines. It's funny, throughout the book, you always talk about how people look and how they're not that good. Yeah, yeah, I know. I love like one that. consistent thing that runs through the book. Um, one time, in my innocence, <clears throat> I asked him what pop was about. At the time, we were sitting in some restaurant, and straight off, Burns swung around at our table and yelled the one word, waiter. <laughs> Immediately, three waiters burst out of the wings at a canter and dashed to our table. Burns asked for a match and was faced by a sudden wall of flames by three flickering hands. When the waiters left, Burns looked at me and wasn't even smug about it. Quote, wouldn't you say, he asked, that what pops about. <laughs> yeah, that's great. <laughs> I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> so like the Rock Dreams book, you know, Nick Cohen, who knows if this is true or not. <laughs> But the, course, fact yeah. is, but, the, but the fact is, it's, it's Nick Cohn's romanticizing not only the artist, but he, but he really gives credit to the managers and uh, agents, and right. he romanticizes about them as well. Right. The whole being business part of the aspect of making, finds, making right. the pop culture. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, great. And I loved when he, he's got a whole chapter on Phil Spector, which, you know, Phil Spector is a whole, I mean, I'm sure a book about Phil Spector could be amazing. Um, but it was interesting because he talked about how Phil Spector um, sort of understood immediately the business side of it. And when Phil Spector started, he was, what, 18, 19 and so. Yeah. Uh-huh. And he quickly understood the business side of it. And he sort of started taking over, you know, from the middle aged businessmen who had been the behind the scenes yeah. people before that, you know. And um, and he also, again, talking about looks, he says he talks about uh, how uh Phil Spector was the first man, it says, uh, Phil Spector was the first man to see pop as the new natural refuge of the outsider. And, uh, you know, Phil Spector wasn't the most attractive person, to say the least. And, you know, I think that's, he was the one that finally, you know, ugly guys were like, okay, if I just strap on a guitar, maybe I can get a date. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, that chapter on Phil Spector is one of the best things I read about Phil Spector. Yeah, yeah, no, he really gets to the, the nitty gritty of uh, mm-hmm. who Phil Spector is. Even though, I mean, this was written in '68, and obviously there's so much more to Phil Spector after that. But he already sort of grasped exactly what Spector was all about. You yes, know? it's definitely really, really good. He has a firm understanding of what it is about. That he's totally correct. Yeah, yeah, no, he's very um, observant for sure. Um, and it's kind of amazing how, you know, these chapters aren't particularly long, but he really, no. he captures the essence of all these people that he's talking about in okay. pretty, 
quick order. You know, it doesn't take them a long time. Can I read something else? Of course. <laughs> you actually bring up a subject matter, and I feel like he captures people really well, or the essence of that artist. Yeah. And um, I like his chapter on Eddie Cochran. Uh-huh. He writes, um, well, I'm just going to read this. I'm not, I'm not reading the whole chapter. I'm just going to read this, but how he sort of captures the essence of somebody. Uh-huh. It's his language that I like. Okay, right. so it's this from starting now. What made him such pure rock? In a way, it was his very facelessness his lack of any detailed identity. With so little for anyone to go on, he seemed less a specific person than an identikit of the essential rocker. A generalized 50s blur, a bit pretty and a bit surly and a bit talented, composited of a generation. But he was something more than that. His songs were perfect reflections of everything that rock ever meant. They were good songs, hard and meaty, but that wasn't it. In every detail, they were so right, so finely rocker. Summertime blues, my way, come on, everybody. A few more. There were only maybe half a dozen things that did him full justice. But between them, they added up to something really heavy. There is almost a continuous storyline running through them. Eddie is still at school and hates it, lives at home and hates it works in his holidays and hates that worst of all. Still, he's a pretty ready kid, can handle himself. And he runs in some kind of gang. He's the leader of the pack, Eddie Cochran, no punk or palooka of 59. When he gets very lucky, his father gives him the car for the night, and then things are wild. Of course, after he gets back home four in the morning, bushed and busted, he is kept in for a fortnight, but that's the name of the game. He can't win. The world rides him. When he works, he's paid chicken feed. When he enjoys himself, he is automatically punished. Tough. Still, when he walks down the street so nice and slow, his thumbs hooked into the belt loops of his blue jeans, his hair all plumbed and whirled, the girls looked up from their chewy mags, sip coke through a straw, and they think he's cute, real cute, sure good looking, he's something else. So after all, he gets by. And you know, I, I just like the whole visual way of him of Nick's writing that he can really obtain the image or legend of Eddie Cochran. Right, right. And it's sort of a poetic way, using his lyrics in a way in that in what I just read you and mm-hmm. and and uh and, and sort of almost like a hard boiled way of writing. Mm, yeah, yeah, that's true. You know, he's like a hard-boiled writer writing about pop music. Yeah. And I think no, that's... Perfectly in sync with what his subject matter is, for sure. I mean, he fits right in. He gets it. Yeah, yeah. He's definitely he, a rock and roll writer, you know? he's He's got that pop culture attitude. Yeah. Yeah, he's amazing to me. I think he's phenomenal. Yeah. Yes, this is just, definitely a must-read book for anybody who's interested in music writing. It is, it's possibly the first serious music book. Um, I think, yes, I think so. You know, we read, two, we, so far we did two books. I mean, we did this book and we did uh, the Ian Penman book, uh, It Gets Me Home, Disturbing Track. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking a lot about that book as I was reading this because... Mm-hmm. Me too. They both, you know, write whole chapters about people. And like, mm-hmm. it was interesting, like the Elvis chapter, I thought a lot about Penman because they both sort of make the point of 
how Presley was the prototype, you know, I mean, yeah. he was the, the first one to do a lot of this stuff. And um, they said a lot of similar things. They have very different styles, but yeah. um, it was interesting to compare the two, especially given that they wrote them so far apart. You know, I mean, the Penman book was written, you know, those articles were from the last, what, five to 10 years versus the Cone book, which was from 68. You know, I feel there's like a perfect... I felt it's like a perfect bookcase. Like you start off with Nick Cohen and you end up with Penman. And, yeah, and, those, yeah, and those, yeah. in those two books, you got like the essence of, of really great music writing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they're both are incredible writers and they're both like really smart and uh, opinionated, of course, especially Nick Cohen. Yeah. But, um, you, know, if, if, you know, right now, I mean, somebody asked me, hey, is there a book of essays by a writer, by, you know, writes about music? These two I would recommend right off the bat. Yeah. There, there's other great, you know, there's other really good music books by really great writers. But there's something special about the Penman book and very something very special about the Nick Cohen book, for me at least. Yeah, no, I agree completely. They are definitely must-reads for the... Anybody who's listening to our podcast is obviously somebody listen, interested in reading uh, books about music. So this is definitely part of the canon. Definite, definite must-read. Uh, Bowie liked it. It's in his hundred list. If that's not enough of a recommendation, I Bowie's never wrong. Never <laughs> Bowie's wrong. never wrong. <laughs> but I, 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 I suspect Nick Cohen would say that he's shit. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was wondering about that. I was wondering what uh, Nick Cohen thought of Bowie because I mean, I would definitely say uh, Bowie had pretensions to art. So <laughs> I, I, I suspect that Nick Cohen likes Ziggy Stardust, but after Ziggy Stardust, it gets a little hairy for him. <laughs> <laughs> I wonder if he still feels that way. I mean, to me, um, you know. Uh, pop and art aren't mutually exclusive, whereas yeah. it seemed to him that they were. So I don't know. I wonder if he still feels that well, way. Well, this is another thing. You know, he's a very typical, like, if there's such thing as atypical mod thinker. Uh -huh. You know, mod means modern. You know, so it's free bit right. for modern. And so mods, in the mod sense, it's like now. Everything's uh -huh. like now. Not the future, not the past. It's like now. And he is very much, at the time he wrote this book, was a very now person. His reflection on history, like by writing about the 50s, was still from the filter to being in the now, right now. Mm -hmm. He's not writing as, a, as a, a historian. He's writing as somebody in the now, writing about the past. Hmm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. yeah I understand what you're saying. He, he definitely, yeah. I mean, he definitely doesn't. Um, he's not interested in nostalgia, that's for sure. No. Yeah. And no. I, one of the articles I, mean, I was reading, <laughs> you know. What? He doesn't, even, he doesn't actually even write about albums. He's basically writing about singles. And... Yeah, I, I think he <laughs> felt like as soon as uh, the idea of a sort of an album as an album, he was already like, no, 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 no. That's a big mistake. You know? <laughs> no album. <laughs> you know, because that's what he was like when he was talking about Rubber Soul, you know, he was like, okay, that's that was the beginning of the end, you know, when they started thinking of it as a whole album rather than, <laughs> You know, just a, a bunch of pop songs, you know, put together. But you know, yes. that idea of a, a, of the album being the the work rather than just you know the songs. I think he goes, no, 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 no. That's not right. No way. <laughs> no, no way, no way. So maybe in the future we'll read Trista if we can. If we, you know. Yeah, yeah. Because um, you have you lived in New Orleans. You have friends in New Orleans. So yes, be interesting yes, I know it'd be fun for me to read for sure. Uh, think about New Orleans again. Um, 
Yeah, but uh, we have a good book coming up next, um, which I'm looking forward to. Um, we're going to be reading The Kinks, Songs of the Semi-Detached by Mark Doyle. I'm so looking forward to this. That's a relatively new book, right? It's, it's just a brand new book. Now, yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So that should be fun. And um, definitely come and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And we have playlists for every episode on Spotify and Apple Music. And the playlists are a lot of fun. We uh, do not pick obvious songs. We get a little eclectic. So oh, my God. I didn't I, you know, listening to. The playlist for this book. I know. It's going to be tough. There's so much. So oh, much. No. Oh, no. <laughs> we will work it out. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> well, they're all two-minute songs. So, you yes. Know. <laughs> and that is art crap. And that is art crap. <laughs> we will not be putting any 17-minute Bob Dylan songs on. <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> all right. Well, everybody, thank you for listening, and we thank will you. talk to you again next time. Yes. Take care, everybody. Stay, stay uh, healthy and safe. Bye-bye. Yes. Bye-bye. Thank you.